We're continuing our series called Hungry today. And in this series of this Lenten series in which we're paying attention to the time leading up to when Jesus is tortured and killed, dies, is buried, and is resurrected, we're exploring different stories of hunger and of longing for God and calling after God. And today's passage takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. It begins on the evening of Palm Sunday. So it begins on Sunday night, the last few days before Jesus is arrested. And we have here three scenes. The first scene is a scene of home. It's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Home's a place where you can put your feet up, right? So Jesus stays in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus each night on this week leading up to his death on the cross. And then each day he walks the two miles into Jerusalem and then each night walks back home. So he does his ministry all day and then each night walks back home and sleeps at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The second scene is a fig tree. It's a little bit of a rough-looking tree, but that actually fits with the story, so it works. And in this scene is the temple in Jerusalem. And this was called Herod's temple. They called it that even though it was the temple of the Jews and the Jewish God. But Herod built it, and it was based on, it was a, an, a bigger, more elaborate replica of the original temple design that God gave the Jews in Scripture. And Herod built it to try to get the Jews on his side and make them happy. And so it was just incredible, incredible temple. In fact, today you can still go to Jerusalem and see uh, parts of the Temple Mount and parts, parts of it that are still standing. It was this incredible architectural feat. It took forever to build. It was this amazing place. So these three scenes figure prominently in today's passage. We'll begin in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus had just had the triumphal entry. So Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday. We'll be celebrating that in a couple weeks. And we actually have a really fun service plan for Palm Sunday. I can hardly wait for that. But we have, so Sunday, he, came, he rode in on a donkey. Everybody's yelling Hosanna and waving palm branches, and they're calling out the king is here. It's that day. And that event has just happened. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He gets off the donkey, and then he goes into the city gates, walks in toward the temple, and goes and snoops around the temple. That's where we're beginning today. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus is inspecting. He gets to the temple and he gets there and he inspects. And he sees all sorts of things happening here. And as you'll see in just a moment, he's not happy with what he sees. But this is the calm before the storm. And that night, after he inspects everything in the temple, he then walks the two miles back to the little town of Bethany, where he then spends the night with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all his disciples as well. They spend the night there until the next day. Monday, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. So Jesus leaves Bethany. He gets up. He's walking the two miles. I don't know if he didn't have breakfast or what, but he's going along his way, and he decides, I'm hungry. I think I need a snack. And then in the distance, he sees a tree, a fig tree covered in leaves. It's in full leaf. 
he comes up to this tree and begins to inspect it for fruit. He begins to inspect it for fruit. And any time in the Bible church, when Jesus is hungry, things get interesting. Verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In leaf, yes. Fruit, no. These are, these are figs. These are figs, in case you don't know what figs are. I mean, we don't really live in fig country, but uh, this, is what, this is what figs are. And he saw the big leafy green leaves, but no figs. Now figs, what, what season is it? It says it wasn't the season for figs. What season is it? It's spring. How do we know that? Because it's leading up to the Passover. You Bible students know that we are on our way to the Passover. That's going to be the last supper before, right before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus dies and is resurrected in the spring. That's why Pas- Passover was the foundation for all of this. That's why we celebrate Easter in the spring. So it is, it's this season right now. Figs have their main ripening season, however, in August. So it's not the main season for figs. So why is Jesus looking? What do we do with this passage? There's actually an early spring harvest, and in the early spring harvest, there are little smaller fig fruits that develop on the previous year's growth. And so anytime a tree is in leaf, you can expect to find some form of figs. Now, it might not be like the main figs that that go on the new growth that happens out in August, but usually if a tree is in leaf, you can find some little like fig nuggets that are little like mini fig fruits, that that there's usually something to eat there. And when Jesus examines this tree in full leaf that looks like it should be full of fruit, it looks, it has the appearance of fruitfulness. But when he examines it and finds there is nothing, he says in verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus judges the tree. (laughs) He says this tree is a fake It looks like it's going to bear fruit, but upon closer inspection, there's no fruit. And he says, this is a fig facade. And in an act of judgment, Jesus curses the tree. Now, we don't like a judging Jesus so much. I mean, it, it looks in this passage like Jesus gets mad. And then he just says, I don't like you, tree. You didn't give me what I wanted. But church, we know that's not the character of Jesus. The character of Jesus is always consistent. So whenever we come across a a passage like this in the Bible that makes us think, Jesus, what are you doing? And it makes us wonder if this is his character. We have to dig in further and find out what's going on. In this act of judgment, Jesus curses the tree. And we, we don't really like a judging Jesus so much, do we? Judge Jesus. Sounds like a TV show. But it makes us uncomfortable. We like a loving Jesus and a gracious Jesus and a healing Jesus, but a judging Jesus is just like, oh, it's kind of a bummer. Like, let's not focus on judging Jesus today. I think the reason we feel this way is because we have a weak understanding of love. 
love is always going to make us think of holiness. Holiness is always going to make us think of God's justice and righteousness. The divine judgment of God is always anchored in a holy love, a holy love that's so much bigger than what we might usually think of. The judgment of God is an aspect of his love. God's love and God's judgment are not opposites. Bible scholar Leon Morris says, the judgment of God is a strong and settled opposition to all that is evil, which arises out of God's very nature. God is not passive in the face of sin. God is impeccably and vigorously opposed to every evil. The love of God does not just ignore and turn a blind eye when there is sin or when there is fruitlessness. The love of God doesn't say, oh, it doesn't matter. The love of God says, oh, it matters so much because you were made for so much more and because this is an affront to my holiness. Holiness is repulsed at sin. Judgment is God's holiness in opposition to sin. And here this tree is receiving the judgment of God, this little fig tree. And I think something that we need to pay a little bit more attention to, something we don't consistently pay attention to, especially in our our church circles, I think, is that the judgment of God is something that we will all experience at the end of time. All of us. Whether we're judged to be righteous in God's sight or unrighteous in God's sight, we'll, we'll all stand before God in judgment. It, it's a reality that is coming and something we like to usually ignore. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It's saying the way that we live here now in the body in this lifetime, it actually matters for eternity. It's a big deal. I find that idea so fascinating. We have no idea how the way we live now will have repercussions in eternity. We can't see all that. But we trust and know that the way we live now matters for eternity. So interesting, isn't it? Revelation chapter 20, verse 19. John the Apostle is writing, and he gives this description. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, And each person was judged according to what he had done. Our actions and the things we do in this life matter for eternity. The judgment of God is something that we will all experience at the end of time. And we're living in this limited time period. And I think the challenge for us is to act now before it's too late. And so we have this cursing of the fig tree. And this is really not, this isn't just Jesus getting hangry and saying, I curse you tree because you don't give me what I want. 
This right here is a symbolic action. Jesus knows exactly what is going on this week. He knows that he is in the last week of his life. He knows that he is going to be the ultimate Passover lamb. He knows exactly that he is going into Jerusalem to wreak havoc, to cause consternation, to get everybody all amped up so that they so that they end up killing him. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's not focused and fixated on some little thing like a tree isn't giving him the fruit. He's making a prophetic statement here. He's making a statement about something that's a lot bigger, a symbolic statement. You see, in the scriptures, a fig tree is often used as a symbol for Israel. Often, the Bible talks about how the fig, the fig tree, it says if the fig tree is flourishing, if people, are, if people are being obedient to God and they're following God, then they're sitting under the, their own vine and fig tree. It's the symbol of prosperity and peace and settledness and goodness. Similarly, the Bible also talks about how when people are in living in rebellion against God, not being obedient to him, that they're like a fig tree that withers up. Look at these passages, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. This idea of safety and security. You've got your own fig tree, your own fruit and shade and goodness. Micah 4, 4. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's this place of peace. Similarly, it talks about how the fig tree will dry up, how it will, it will wither, and it will not produce fruit if they're living unfaithfully to God. And so by cursing this unfaithful tree, Jesus is making a bigger statement saying, the people of Israel, they were God's chosen people. They were the people that God selected. They're the ones who are supposed to be ready for the Messiah, and here I am, and they are not ready and they have been faithless before God. They have been unfruitful. They have not produced the fruit that God wanted. And Jesus says, you have not been fruitful. The first point is that Jesus is hungry, not just for figs, but Jesus is hungry for our fruitfulness. Number one, Jesus is hungry for our fruitfulness. So he curses the fig tree. That's Monday. And this is what happens next. He, he continues on past the fig tree and continues on toward the temple. And it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. He be, uh, let me just say that again. He began driving out everybody who was buying and selling, which was full of people. He said, get out of here, get out of here. You can't belong here. You get out of here. You can't do this right now. And he doesn't allow people to, uh, to sell anything. He says, take your money. Quit selling stuff here. This is not a place for you to have profit. And then he overturns the tables. He literally goes through and turns the tables over in the temple. And people are watching. The, the Gospel of John says that he takes a whip. He makes a whip out of cords. And he has, takes time to do that. And then he goes through and whips everybody, all the things and animals and says, get out of here, get out of here. And then as people are coming through, carrying merchandise, he says, nope, you can't come in here anymore. Nope, you can't come in anymore. Get out of here. We're not doing this right now. This isn't just one little moment of Jesus walking up to a table and saying, 
I'm turning this table over. This is Jesus creating a scene. <laughs> He's creating a scene. It took some time to drive out the cattle. It took some time to scatter the merchants and to get them up out of their seats. And to, it took some time to throw the tables over. And Jesus creates a scene. Now this market, this market was happening in the temple. Do we have that picture of, Elizabeth, do we have that picture of the temple again? Uh, I, I think we did that a minute ago. Now there's a different one, the earlier one of the temple. Yeah, that one. See how those big open areas? In, in one of the big open areas, it was called the, the court of the Gentiles. And there were different layers of courts. They, there was one for women, Jewish women. There's one for Jewish men. But there was a court of the Gentiles that was a bigger one. And it was in this bigger court of the Gentiles where this buying and selling was going on. So they're taking over the space. In, in verse 17, Jesus says to them, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This market, this wasn't always a market. This, the temple was not designed to have a market in it. In fact, the, the market that did sell temple supplies and sacrifice supplies was something they did have in Jerusalem. It was actually located on the Mount of Olives. And they sold these things because people would pilgrimage from all over the place, and rather than, like, carry all their sacrifice stuff with them, they could come to Jerusalem, where the temple was, purchase the things they needed, the animals, the oils, the spices, all the things they needed for all the different sacrifices that God required. And they'd purchase those at the market that was on the, temp the, the Mount of Olives, and then would take them into the temple. Well, somebody had the big idea of, hey, let's set up a market in competition because we can just like charge a little bit more money, but it will be more convenient. We can just have it right there at the temple for people, and then they don't have to go to the other place. So there's this little, this little economic competition. Some, some people say that Caiaphas was the one who started that. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but that's what some scholars would say. And so there are stalls set up for the animals. And it, there's evidence, uh, there's rabbinic evidence that these two market locations had, they quarreled, and they had a lot of conflicts with each other. And Jesus, consumed with zeal, goes in and he says, no. He says, not appropriate for a house of prayer. And he says, not appropriate for a house of prayer that's supposed to be for all nations. You're taking over the Gentile space. This is the only place the Gentiles can worship. You're, you're desecrating the holy place. And he drives out the buyers and sellers. He overturns the tables. You can just imagine the doves that were there for the sacrifice flying away. Jesus, point number two, Jesus is hungry for our true prayer and worship. Jesus is hungry for our true prayer and worship. He demonstrates this deep passion, this deep zeal, this indignation. He's like, this is not what the temple was designed for. This is not who God is. God deserves better from you. This worship is warped. Jesus is hungry. He's hungry for worship that God deserves, but he's also hungry for us to have real, true worship of God. 
Jesus then begins teaching, and I think it's kind of funny because I just imagine after all of the ruckus that he just caused and all the whole drama of like the whip and the cords and driving everybody out of the temple area, I mean, that took a minute. And I just kind of imagine that when Jesus then sat down to teach, like he often did, he often would teach in the temple, uh, my, I just imagine that it, was, it must have been pretty quiet. <laughs> like he probably could have heard a pin drop and people were like, what's he going to say now, now that he just made this whole scene? And that's when he says in verse 17, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 56, verse 6, and Isaiah says, and foreigners, that would be Gentiles, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, all who keep, uh, can we pull that up on the screen? So I want you to be able to follow along because it's Isaiah. Isaiah 56, 6, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain. That's the, that's the mountain that the temple is built on. And give them joy in my house of prayer. That's the temple. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For point three, Jesus is hungry for the true prayer and worship of all nations. He's concerned with the Jewish people, and he says, Jews, you have missed receiving the Messiah. You have missed all the way paving the way. And he said, you've missed that the message of the gospel is for all nations, and so you're tampering with the court of the Gentiles. Both the fig tree and the temple the fig tree gave the outward appearance of being in leaf and being fruitful. It looked like it would have fruit. The temple was this glorious structure. There was so much that was good and beautiful about it, and they had this outward appearance of, of beauty and bustling activity. But it was also not fruitful. It was not righteous. And so many of us, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we, we look one way on the outside but there's a different death that's really on the inside. A, a fig facade. We, we look like there's fruitfulness about us, but maybe there's no life inside. Verse 18, the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this. They heard Jesus say, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So, Jesus wraps up his time. He keeps teaching there. He wraps things up. And verse 19 says, When evening came, they went out of the city. When evening came, they left the temple. They left the city. They went back home. They spent the night. They wake up, and then it's Tuesday of Holy Week. And then it talks about the next morning. The verse says, The next morning. The next morning, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So this is just a short period of time later, and it's not, and you don't expect a tree to kind of shrivel up that fast, but this shriveled up fast. It's, it's all dried up, all withered from the roots, and Jesus says, whoa, let's check this out. And this is this picture of warning that judgment is real. 
that the righteousness of God demands, de- demands worship. That there's a limited time for us to respond and that Jesus is hungry for our fruitfulness. Fruitlessness will not always be tolerated. And in these actions, both the fig tree and the temple show Jesus saying, the fruitlessness is being exposed. The facade, the fakeness, the, the inadequacy is being exposed. And Jesus judges the people. He judges the, how they have used the temple. And he says, these things are not working. And he's foreshadowing to the point when he is going to bring a new way. A new way of redemption and a new way of judgment. A new way of hope. So Jesus says, or Peter says, Jesus, check this out. Verse 22, Jesus has an interesting response. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for with prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jesus is saying something here that is connected to the work of the temple. He's using this passage, in this passage, he's using the the example of the fig tree to say, let's talk about praying in faith. Let's talk about praying with forgiveness in your heart. And at the temple, he was saying, this is a house of prayer. He's making statements about the role of righteous, godly, faithful prayer. He says judgment is coming for Israel, the fig tree, because it's unfruitful. Judgment is coming for the temple because it is corrupt and unholy. And Jesus is hungry for good fruit. And he says, I want you to pray with faith. Pray with faith in my goodness. I want you to pray with belief. I want you to pray with forgiveness for all those resentments that you hold in there. That good fruit will come as you pray with forgiveness for those who have hurt you. I find it so interesting that this, I, this whole concept about prayer and faithfulness is repeated just a few days later. We, in, uh, when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on, on around Thursday night and he's teaching them, he does this whole long teaching. The Gospel of John, uh, we refer to it as the upper room discourse. It's where Jesus gives, like, hey, bef- the disciples don't know he's going to die, but he's basically saying to them, I'm going to dump all this info on you at the last minute because I'm going to die and I, there's all this stuff I want you to know before I go. And as part of that, we have John 15, where Jesus says these words. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So here he is talking about fruitfulness again. Uh, These are some of his last words. He's very concerned with fruitfulness. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Here we have judgment again, right? Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This picture of judgment. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Again, we have prayer. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here we have this very similar teaching of Jesus saying, fruitfulness matters, prayer matters, pray in sync with me. There's good stuff. I want you to have good things. Pray in sync with me. He's saying, be aware of judgment, of ungodliness. He's saying all these same things. And I think what we get here is that Jesus is hungry. He's hungry for us. He's hungry for God's righteousness. He is hungry for God's holiness. And he's hungry for your holiness. He's hungry for your fruitfulness. He's hungry for your forgiving heart. He's hungry for your worship. And so often we have this fig facade. We have this fig facade, this outward appearance that everything's fine. Or this appearance of the temple where everything looks religious and, and just like it's just so, but it still lacks true connection with God. And what I want you to know is that Jesus is hungry for you. He's hungry for you. He's pursuing you. He's chasing after you. He's, he judges because he is holy and righteous and because he wants so much goodness for you. He judges because there is love at stake. He judges because there's so much more for you than what you even would want for yourself. Forgiveness is not just God turning a blind eye. It's God actually dealing with the situation. Forgiveness isn't God just saying, well, I'm just going to turn a blind eye on this fruitless fig tree. I'm just going to ignore this temple that is this facade of fake worship. Jesus, it's, forgiveness isn't God just saying, I'm just going to ignore all that. What Jesus does is Jesus becomes the curse himself. Jesus takes on the judgment that should be ours. He takes on the burden of the judgment. He takes on the curse that is on us. He becomes the curse, and he deals with the problem of our fruitlessness. Jesus would go to the cross and be the ultimate sacrifice to cover over the forgiveness and our unrighteousness. He does this because he's hungry for us, because he wants you. He wants you a lot. There's an, there's an old English poem that was written in the late 1800s called, called uh, uh, I forget what it's called. Can you remind me who was in first service? Uh, but it's the, the Hound of Heaven, called The Hound of Heaven. And it's this story about, it's this, this allegorical, it's this picture of there's a, a man who is running through the dark streets at night and he's being chased by a dog. And this dog represents God. And the man runs and he runs and he runs. And he doesn't want to get caught by the dog because he's afraid of what the dog is going to make him do. So he keeps running, he keeps running, and the dog keeps chasing and chasing and chasing. And this picture of the hound of heaven is this picture of a God who won't give up, who runs after you and runs after you. He could outrun you, but he doesn't. He keeps running after you and running after you until you stop and receive what he has. 
Jesus has come after you. He's coming after you. And I hope that you will feel so bothered by the Holy Spirit pursuing you that you won't be able to help but just say, yes, whatever you have for me, Jesus, I just, I just say yes. Jesus, I receive what you have for me, whether it's a hard word, whether it's a, a vine and fig leaf time of peace. Jesus, I receive what you have for me because you are hungry for good things for me. Some of you are operating under this mentality that God only wants bad stuff for you, that he's out to just punish you. That's so much bigger than that. His desire of goodness for you goes much beyond what you could even imagine or dream of. He wants you. And he's hungry for you. And when Jesus is hungry, things start to happen. And so Jesus, we come before you today as people who you're hungry for. And I believe that you know every single human individual that's sitting here in this church today. You know every person who is part of City Life Church. And you individually and personally treasure each one. And your Holy Spirit, to varying degrees, is chasing us down, pursuing us, coming after us, saying fruitlessness isn't what you were made for. Prayerlessness is not what you were made for. Faithlessness is not what you were made for. I have so much more for you. And Jesus, my prayer for us today is that we would be people who would simply stop running and say, yes. Whatever you have for me, Lord Jesus, I say yes. Whatever fruitfulness you are calling me to, I say yes. Where there is fruitlessness in my life, I reject that and I cut it off. And instead I turn and to you I say yes. Where there is faithless prayer, I cut that off as fake religion. And I turn to you instead and I say, Jesus, I believe. Or I say, Jesus, help me in my unbelief. And wherever there is a lack of forgiveness, Lord Jesus, we hold this before you and say, cut off this cancer and help us. Help us do a deeper work. Heal as only you can. And I come to you and I wait on you and I ask you to do the hard work. To you I say, yes, Jesus. Thank you for being hungry for us. Thank you that you will keep on chasing us whether we ask you to or not. Thank you that we can do nothing to stop your love. In your name we pray. Amen.